1: And welcome back to Talkin' Knicks, baby. We're here. We did it. We made it through the hard part. The basketball is over. <laughs> we don't have to watch the 2018-2019 Knicks anymore, but we do have to talk about it. We have to talk about what we saw this year from the team, from Fisdale, the big trade that rocked the world. Pretty dramatic. We're going to review the season as a whole we're going to be searching ourselves. What what other wins or losses should we be taking away from this season besides the losses we took on the court all year? I am joined by Kenneth Poon, Tom Piccolo, and we're here to do it. Let's talk next. toes bum, and stuffing
0: bum, Get ignited and the guard crowd.
1: Welcome back. Talking Knicks, a special Easter slash Passover slash 420 edition of your favorite Knicks podcast. I'm Jake Storielli. The season is wrapped up. I've been getting caught in the excitement of Yankees baseball, and I forgot what it's like to watch a product that you're kind of excited to watch and not just point out two guys and be like, wow. Damian Dotson hit three threes tonight, but we're here to talk about those three threes, boys. We made it through the tough part. The fun part is on its way. The free agency, the draft pick, all of it. Not this episode. We're going to be reviewing the season. We're to I'm sure we'll dip our toe into some of the upcoming stuff, but I think we kind of want to hold off on that until we know maybe the draft pick, because <laughs> that's going to change our opinions a lot. First. Let's go around the horn. Kenneth Andrew, I'll start with you. Kenny Poon, happy Easter, my man. How are you?
0: Uh, happy Easter, Jake and Tom. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. We had a nice little family get-together today uh, my aunt's house in Fairfield, right over by where Tom lives. Uh, for about the, I want to say like the 10th year in a row, I won the Easter egg hunt.
1: Wow. Now I know.
0: I, I mean, I know most of the people I'm competing against are small children, but they got to learn some, someday that, you know, you just don't bring it to my house unless you're trying to, you're trying to win. And I, I go after that win every day. Kenny's First definitely record. way
2: too competitive against these little kids. I know it for a fact. I've seen it firsthand. It is not pretty.
1: Tom, the yeah, record a, book's not going to show any of that.
0: Yeah, it's going to show my undefeated record in Easter egg hunts.
1: You know, when they when they show that Russ had a 20-20-20 game in five years, we might remember that it's for Nipsey. We're not going to remember that he got it in absolute garbage time, you know. So, Ken, I respect the hustle, man. Congrats.
0: Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate sorry it.
1: Sorry for sorry for Tom trying to knock you down, Tom. You've been called the Easter Bunny of this podcast. How are you, friend?
2: I'm doing great. I. I hope to, to live up to that nickname, whatever that entails. I want, uh, wonder what
1: Easter eggs you'll have as stats for us, huh? Ooh, okay, okay. Ooh.
2: Um, I also had a family get-together today. I was in West Hartford, where my, my twin brother and my sister-in-law, his wife, were throwing a gender reveal party. They are, yes. they are pregnant, um, and they will be having a daughter. Yeah. So uh, it was they, they did like a balloon. They popped a balloon where all the, the pink confetti came out and it was a it was a very joyous day for me and my family. My parents are visiting from Pennsylvania, um my sister in law's parents were visiting from Massachusetts, it was just a nice, nice family gathering and uh and it was Easter to boot, so all in all, good, very good weekend. Yeah. Uh, yeah, luckily and then we got Game of Thrones tonight. Hello. We'll probably just talk about that later, though. But um, yeah. we'll probably talk as little about the Knicks as possible, I think.
0: <laughs> Top, can I, can I ask you a question? And I don't know if you have the answer. And I know I've asked you this before, but not on the podcast. But did they know going into this gender reveal? Or was it a reveal to them as well?
2: It was a reveal for them as well. They had no idea until they popped that balloon.
0: So who filled the balloon? The only people who knew were the doctor who wrote something on a slip. And then they gave that slip to someone to make a balloon
2: right right there's there are these companies that like make these kinds of products they're like party companies i guess um but yeah that's the that's the ideal i think uh my sister-in-law her name is tara her sister like accidentally saw the confetti when they were putting it in or something like that so she knew but she was keeping it a secret um but ideally yeah only the the doctor and whoever is is the, the party in person in charge of the, uh, the party planning committee. So who, who was filling the balloon? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the, it's that it's the party company, man. I don't know that much about this, but, but there are people you can pay to, to help you throw one of these gender reveals. It's a bur- It's a blossoming industry.
0: All right. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm just wondering what the odds are that they made a mistake. Oh, boy.
2: Oh, my God.
0: Is that a, is that a thing? That's no. where this was going? No, I, this whole thing fascinates me. Is that The only people that know are this random person working minimum wage to fill balloons and the doctor. Like, the parents don't even know. That's crazy to me. And then it got, got into my mind. Like, what? This person makes minimum wage filling a balloon. Like, what are the chances that they get it right 100% of the time?
2: I I don't know, man. That's that's a that's a thinker. We'll, uh... Enjoy so, Game
1: of Thrones. Happy Easter. Let's that, go this has been Knicks. talking nicks. Um wow. If that's any preview of where we're getting into the weeds today, I am excited. Um <laughs> Tom, congrats on becoming an uncle. Thank you. Yep, very that's, excited. That's pretty, pretty exciting. Um and Arguably just as exciting as this 2018 Knicks season. Um, I <laughs> and we laughed. I uh, I went back, guys. I, I went back a little bit to our our review of last offseason. And and there's, there's some funny stuff in here to be had. And I, I want to circle up and see where we land. Obviously, Fizdale came in as the new coach. We were pretty excited about that. He's got a good... Um, I don't know, kind of a good standing in the league amongst players. I think we're going to find out, (laughs) we're going to find out in the next couple months, uh, how much we really like Fizdale and how much the, the players do respect him when free agency comes around. I'm sure um, Tom should, Tom's usually got some good stats. I I bet we can link some of those to Fizdale and his performance this year because he can't be graded on wins and losses when this was a tank season. Um, I thought it was pretty funny just looking at the who's gone, who's back list. Jarrett Jack, Michael Beasley, O'Quinn, McDermott, and Noah was a question mark. He was gone. In was Hazonia, Knox, and Mitchell Robinson I had written down. Um, hey, a one and a half out of three there. Not too bad. Um, and then I, I thought it was interesting, and we'll be able to look back at this now with a little more context. But when we drafted Knox, I know this podcast wasn't fully stoked on it. Um, and then we kind of saw the summer league stuff and we were like, let's roll this guy out there. So I'm kind of excited to see where everyone's year end opinions land on that. Tom, I'll kick it to you first that, I, I mean, is do any of those spark anything for you when we start thinking about the 1819 season?
2: Well, I've got, I've got a few, uh, <coughs> a few Easter eggs for you here. Yes. Um, I know we wanted to get into some of the year end stats and I've got some high level ones here. So, um, as far as the Knicks offense this season, they they ranked dead last in in points per 100 possessions, so that's
1: Is that good or bad for the listeners? That,
2: so it's it's 30th out of 30. Um okay. and it is it is as bad as you can do. Not um bad. yeah, bad offense. And and there were several reasons for that. The probably the most glaring, which we talked about all season was their uh, well, okay, there were a few. They can't shoot. <laughs> <laughs> they they right. were they were also thirtieth in effective field goal percentage, um, and they were twenty eighth in three point field goal percentage. So they, they really couldn't shoot very well. They also didn't pass the ball well either. They were they were dead last in assist percentage. That's the the percentage of their field goals that were assisted. So they were last in the league in that as well. There it, it's pretty pretty bleak when you're going through some of these numbers. But the the defensive end is maybe a little better they ranked 26th in the league in defense they um they actually were pretty good protecting the rim I think that was a, a function of Mitchell Robinson towards the end of the year he and, and Luke Cornett actually is pretty good at protecting the rim too so there are a few bright, brighter spots on defense but yeah overall the the offense was very pathetic and it, how much you want to attribute that to Fisdale, we can talk about
1: and that's that there was some bleak stuff there, Tom. I, I appreciate it because they're stats. It's not it's not really BS. I guess there is a fun twist at the end with some of the defensive stuff and, and the rim protecting, and that obviously links mostly to Mitchell Robinson, already top twenty-five all time in Knicks history and block shots um, after one season. Uh Kenneth, and any of that jump out to you that that you feel you need to put your stamp on, or where are you at?
0: I mean, I was going to go in a completely different direction from from Tom's stats and throw out my own. I like it. Um, you know, Context may make them less relevant than they appear at first. But I also went back and listened to our off-season review from last year, and one of the things that we uh, complained about was the complete lack of any coherent rotations from Hornacek and the complete lack of a plan. They were out there last year playing a bunch of guys who were not going to be on the team next season, and they weren't on the team this season, like uh, Beasley, Jarrett Jack, and on sessions early in the season. Uh, this year, they were bad, but they got their young guys' minutes, which I appreciate. And the top two guys in minutes on the Knicks this season were Kevin Knox and Damian Dotson. Dotson is a little surprising to me just because he started out the season with several DMPs, and then he was not playing a ton of minutes. And I know Tom's going to come back and be like, yeah, well, they traded all the other guys that actually played minutes halfway through the season, so whatever. But, I mean, I, th- I think it's still a good thing that that Knox, Dotson, uh, Trier, Robinson, those guys are all towards the top in minutes played for the Knicks. I think Robinson's a little bit lower just because he was constantly in foul trouble. Uh, but, you know, I think those are all good signs in terms of getting minutes. And I know a lot of people said that maybe – Bisdale was playing, Knox a few too many minutes, but you know I think I prefer that to not playing him enough minutes, just because the the way you get better is you get out there and play people, and you know he he got that opportunity this year. He he struggled a little bit, but you know he he got a taste of it, and and next year we're hoping is when it's really going to count, and that's that's when we're going to see what he's he's really got.
1: Yeah, not not to be too much of the get off my lawn guy that that would be yelling about you know MJ's age forty season, but run Knox out there for his age 19 season. Um, every game should be a learning experience. Um, I, I think it's interesting, and we'll probably get into it in a little bit, where his season-ending stats kind of landed from what, what we expected to where we are now. Uh, but you are you are right, Ken. I mean, those are those are some small wins there that Knox and Dotson played a lot of minutes because I, I think when we look back and look at the minutes Frank played this year, that's got to be up there on the disappointing list for this season. Um, Tom, like I guess I, I'll do a little bit of the roller coaster of the season to to see what topics we land in. Obviously, uh, the year starts, and we're you know we're 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 a little demoralized. We know KP isn't going to be there. We're not sure what we're getting into this season. We we see the Knox highlights. We don't even know what Mitchell Robinson is. We don't even know if he's going to play coming into the season. We wonder if Tim Hardaway Jr. can make a leap. Uh, that shows how far back we're going. Um, we we started out the season playing some ball. The wheels come off really quickly. I I guess I guess I think the best way to do this would be let's talk about the Knicks leading up to the Porzingis trade. Would it would would that make sense to do? Um, because obviously the dynamic of the team changes so much after that. Um, but I, I guess let's start off a little bit with. The Tim Hardaway-led Knicks <laughs> and what we saw from that team. I was going to say what we like or what we dislike. Um, and, Ken, you mentioned going back and listening to some of the stuff we talked about. I think I might have said the words Trey Burke for six Man of the Year candidate a couple times. I don't think that panned out for me. We'll see when the award votes come in. But, uh, Tombo, back to you um the pre-trade New York Knicks we a lot of the stats you mentioned obviously lined up at the time but but what else needs to really be discussed with that
2: well I think one of the big stories from early in the season was Noah Vonley's emergence as like he was consistently the best player on the team for the much of the first half of the season so that was that didn't really sustain early in the year he was making his threes so like in addition to being one of the more versatile defensive bigs on the team he was also doing a little bit of, of grab and go and initiating offense uh, uh, like nominally and then he was also making threes and when that stopped his value really kind of uh, came to a halt so it, it's curious to see i mean I'm curious to see how much money he ends up making in the off season if the flashes he showed at the beginning of the year will earn him a contract somewhere or, um, I mean, depending on how the Knicks off season shakes out, whether he, there's a chance he can come back and play, but I don't even know if Knicks fans would want Vonley back after he kind of petered out towards the end there. What do you guys think?
0: So, I mean, I think it's all about roles for all of these guys. And I think that's, that might be become a theme of something that I'm just going to talk about a lot in the coming episodes, but The roles that players had on the team this season aren't necessarily the roles that they would have if, say, a Kevin Durant, a Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, Clay Thompson, any of these guys whose names start with K. If any of them end up on the Knicks next year, all of their roles will be different. And despite kind of his offense taking, you know, the minutes taking a toll and his offense kind of decreasing over the the season – he still played solid defense, and he was a bigger body, and he was a capable rebounder. And I think we saw it when he went up against uh, Giannis that he was a solid defender against Giannis, and you know, that's something that you need in the playoffs if, if you're going to go up against these teams and it becomes a star-against-star mentality uh, because that's what the playoffs is. We just saw what happened with Indiana, and they, didn't, they were playing really well even after Oladipo went out. They don't have a star, and they just get swept out of the playoffs really quickly. Um, so if Vonley can become a solid role player where his the expectations on what he's going to provide offensively are a little less, I think he's still a very valuable player. Now, that being said, did he do enough early in the season to earn a contract that's going to push him out of what the Knicks should be willing to pay him to play in the role where he's a defender, rebounder, guy like that? I don't know, but I think all of, you know, my opinion, all of my opinion on all of these guys is going to depend on what their role is moving forward, and you know, different guys based on what they've done last season could fit on a winning roster. And I think Noah Ley is one of those guys, provided that you know he he decreases his workload a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's a great point, Kenny. And that will come up with a lot of these guys, and I think it turns into obviously who comes into town and what they're getting paid, and you know. Noah Vonleh, when he was having those double doubles and guarding the best player on the other team. If Noah Vonley is back next year, I don't think we want to see that. I think we almost want to see him in the, that bench unit bench squad Kylo Quinn type role. Um, but ideally on a good winning team. Um, I, I think something that we do need to talk about, because this was something that emerged itself early in the season and we haven't said his name yet. And I'm going to send it back to you to talk about him, Ken, because I know how much you like him in his role how about Isozo, Alonzo Trier? Uh, you know, we were obviously excited to see Knox. Mitchell Robinson, we had no idea. Trier is, you know, the undrafted rookie. We see some signs from him. And then he comes in, and, man, he shows the guard that he's he's for real.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I he's another one of the guys that it all depends on what his role is because he, in my opinion, he would be perfect as a Jamal Crawford, later in his career, player. He's not... Jamal Crawford, I loved on the Knicks, but, you know, he was not as effective because, you know, he just wasn't designed to be the go-to scorer on a good team. I think Alonzo Trier is the same way. I think... And he was just so ridiculously efficient early in the season that it was like, well, maybe he could potentially grow into something. And naturally, he couldn't uh, kind of maintain that throughout the season. But he's still a very efficient scorer and a very good scorer that i think an off the bench role in the Jamal Crawford Lou Williams type role i think he'd be very valuable at now you know they have him under contract where they can they can you know have him do that so that's that's the hope and the hope is that they don't try to you know push him to do more than that because then it becomes you know as long as you're filling your role you're fine once you start you know, going beyond your capabilities—that's when people start to turn on you, and that's when things just go kind of awry. So, again, all depends on what his role
1: is. Tommy, I I sozo a little bit. I think it's funny that that nickname is almost so faux pas nowadays. <laughs> like that's that's almost the worst nickname he could have coming in. Um, I mean, do you are are you putting him in a box? I mean, do we do we like the body of work as a whole from this season? Do we think? He has to be that Jamal Crawford type, or, or what, did, what did your eyes see, or what did the numbers tell you? Well, I mean, uh,
2: one thing that, like, very analytics focused people tend to undervalue is shot creation. You know, they're so focused on efficiency that, that they tend to, to overlook how important it is to be able to create your own offense. And that's something that Trier does really well. And, like Kenny said, ideally next year, like, he wouldn't be someone that you'd need to create his own offense um at least very frequently but i mean yeah the thing is he was needed this year to do what he did to be isozo we very much needed him to to develop that part of his game and he he was impressive he got to the free throw line he, he improved his three-point shot over the course of the season and began taking more of them um and hopefully next year he takes even more of those but uh yeah if <laughs> if indeed we keep dancing around it because we haven't really discussed it that much but like <laughs> if Kevin Durant really does come yes then like Trier's not gonna be isozo or at least the Knicks won't need him to be um could he run second bench like second units and, and create offense that way sure but uh, you know on a, on a top tier team is, is Trier being your go-to scorer off the bench gonna get you very far I, I don't I mean not yet probably he's still he's still young he's He'll just be a sophomore next year. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see how his game develops and if Fizdale can, can get him in a more team-oriented style of play next year. We'll see about that. But I will say, like, even prior to that Porzingis trade, we were – a lot of the, the Knicks fan base was focused on Kevin Knox. He was coming off that December Rookie of the Month honors, which is – right. I mean, that's a huge deal. Like, not very many rookies get a chance to win that. So, like, we were pretty enamored with that part of of Knox's game. And we hadn't, like, the fan base hadn't really soured on him as much as, like, the extremely low efficiency score and and one of the worst two-point shooters in the league at that point. But, I mean, that's something you have to expect from from one of the youngest players in the league. And and I think that should have been expected coming – into his rookie year. But I just wanted to throw that out there that Knox um, pre Porzingis trade was really the, like the crown jewel as far as the rookies.
1: Yeah. And, and Tom, I, I just to kind of tie the bow on Alonzo Trier. I have to say before I clicked uh, his B ball reference, I would have been under on all of his percentages. Guy shoots as a rookie shoots 45% from the field, 39 and percent from three. from the line on three and a half attempts. I mean, even the two assists in 20, 23 minutes per night, that's not awful from a guy with the nickname Isozo. So I guess I'm not going to say I'm more gung ho. It's going to depend a lot how this roster ends up looking, but I mean, we're seeing teams play golden state in the playoffs. They're doing all five guys to guard three guys because they're the threat on offense. So someone like him, if, if he stumbles into the right opportunity with the right guys around him and he's not getting a lot of attention and he takes a step up, Alonzo Trier could find his way being more of a household name around the country than, than what he is now. And I, I think Tom, what, what you said there is also important about Kevin Knox, the December player rookie of the month. I, I essentially forgotten about that. Um, as we've seen the, the less efficient Knox come out. Um, and I, I guess this is kind of fun to try to bring ourselves back because I, I think this is going to bring us up to the Porzingis trade. I guess, Ken, have your opinions changed on Knox between February 1st and now? Uh,
0: not really. And I know I've said this on previous pods, but I'm – I'm usually on the opposite end of the spectrum as everyone else. So like to the extent that everyone else is worried about just how bad his offense got later in the season. And to the extent that everyone gets, you know, super excited about the the December he had, I am usually on the opposite end. So like, I try to keep it, um, you know, as level as possible. I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be a good player in this league. He's going to be able to, to score the basket basketball eventually, um, But he is one of the guys that I wonder what his role is in the event that the the unbelievable happens and we get Kevin Durant, because and that's gonna be a lot of these conversations is because this this can go in two very different directions is either if we get Durant it's one thing if we don't get Durant it's another, Um, and if we get if we don't get Durant you know he's a good player to have he he can develop into something and potentially be a a go-to player in the future but. In the event that we're playing next year to win with Kevin Durant, I just don't know what Knox's role is because he's a high-volume, inefficient scorer, and you know he has shown a little bit of an ability to rebound, not as much as you'd like, um, hasn't shown that much ability to create for others, hasn't been a, been a very good defender. So I just don't know what his role is in that situation. Um, and that's just something that we're going to have to see what happens this offseason and, and uh, try to figure it out from there.
2: Yeah, Kenny, that's totally fair. I mean, like, Kevin Knox, regardless, he has a chance to be a very good player. But if the Knicks get Durant, his timeline simply wouldn't line up with the Knicks' timeline. And so you wonder what that turns into, right? Like, if he if if Durant ends up coming over, if, like, Knox ends up getting on the trading block or something. I mean, who knows? But it's a great point that the Knicks will be looking for more established players and will not be given 30 minutes a game to, to someone, to a 20 year old Kevin Knox, no chance.
1: Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a huge talking point. And I I guess I haven't fully swirled that around my mouth, but yeah, having one of the least effective two point shooters on your team with, if it's Katie Kyrie, who, whoever comes to town, and that's going to dictate a lot of it too. Um, And, and I think we're going to get some more of that in upcoming pods and and just going around what I can remember from the, from up to, uh, Feb one, I believe the, the Zinger Zinger trade Trey Burke kind of fell out of the rotation. He, He was, you know, I think he won us a game against the Celtics and then he'd be MIA for a couple games. Um, we got to see some of the Hazonia show and everything that that offered, uh, Lance Thomas being Lance Thomas, the Courtney Lee thing was pretty bizarre. He was, he wasn't playing at all, and then he was kind of around, and but he, he never really was.
0: Jake, you're you haven't hit the biggest news of the year was when Ron Baker. Ron
1: Baker, I was yeah. I was a build up, Ken. You got to uh, keep the bad. people going. Uh, Ron Baker, the touchdown maker, RIP. He goes to the Wizards, wins league MVP like we expected. Um, no, the Ron <laughs> Baker incident ended. Um, and thank the thank the good Lord because he became a laughing. the The garden would cheer for him like a walk on on the end of the bench. I can't. I'm I'm not getting myself. Ron Baker. Let's. Ron
0: Baker was the first man off the bench in the Knicks' first game, guys.
1: That's disgusting. Um. Anyways, let me let me eat a tums <laughs> or something to settle my stomach. Um, guys, where were you when? We hit the point in the season where we are losing games at an incredible rate. the The first, uh, the best lottery odds are becoming very possible. We're hitting the point in the year where we have to get excited about Kristaps Porzingis coming back whenever he comes back. Just because you need something, you need a light at the end of a tunnel. They drop the nuke. it went, from, <laughs> it went from the Knicks maybe exploring trades to Chris Stapps Porzingis is, is out of the building. Uh, he's going to Dallas. I believe the official trade was uh, Zinger, um, Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway Jr., who we didn't talk about too much in the first half of the season, and I think that says a lot. Um, and Courtney Lee for Dennis Smith Jr., DeAndre Jordan, Wesley Matthews, and potentially two future first-round picks. Um, We did about an hour-and-a-half podcast on this at the time, um, almost as a diary entry um, for ourselves. Kenny, looking back now with the hindsight of it, I mean, where do you stand on the whole thing? Um, What (laughs) – this is your – This may be your last opportunity to get the Porzingis trade off your chest if there's anything hanging around with it. So, what do you have?
0: Yeah, it was we talked about it on that pod, but it was a crazy like hour that this all transpired in, where we're just like, "All right, that's not really news," and then all of a sudden, Kristaps Porzingis was gone. So, I think that kind of fueled a little bit of the reaction, and I think there was a lot of kind of overreaction, and the more time it got away from that, like the more it seemed to make sense. Um, and the point that Greg liked to make was getting rid of the contracts of Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee. Like There are people who said that that, that it might take a first round pick or more to get rid of each one of those contracts. And people just don't give up first round picks anymore. So, you know, essentially we traded, to the extent that we would have to trade a first-round pick for e- for both of those guys, essentially we got back four first-round picks and Dennis Smith Jr. for Christoph's Porzingis, which is a pretty good haul in the end. And then, kind of like like we we said, we took off the rose color, rose colored glasses when it came to Porzingis and like, all right, you know, he he is a generational talent, but he's had some injuries, he's had some issues, you know, he's had uh you know, he's been a little. A little bit of a prima donna with the front office and the media, and maybe it's just it's best that you know he moves on to Dallas and does does his thing there, and we can, you know, jumpstart the rebuild and clear up some cap space to get some additional players. And you know, I'm I've come calmed down a lot, and come uh, come around to the thinking that this was probably the best decision for everyone involved.
2: Yeah, Ken, you talked about taking off the rose-colored glasses. And that's a phrase I use all the time. And it's it's true. Like Porzingis, we, we did complain about his game in real time too. Like we said all the time how his offense, we kind of blamed Hornacek I think mostly, but so much of it just relied on him catching the ball at the elbow, turning around and just shooting over a contest. And like so much of his offense was just is that shot dropping, right? Like he wasn't getting to the rim a ton, especially like early in the season he would start – with all these highlight dunks and putback dunks. And then it seemed like he would just get tired and wear down over the course of the season. And his game would rely so much on, on just like high post elbow touches. And it just, he, he can't run an offense that way because he's such a bad passer. He's one of the worst passers of players of his usage of anyone out there. So, you know, he's, he's this big who he has health issues. He can't pass. He's actually a really bad rebounder especially for his size. That's why people were saying he needed a guy like Cantor out there to grab the rebounds when he was on the court. So, I mean, th- there were definitely major warts to his game. And uh, and all that said, like, I-, I think the the biggest bummer is just the fact that they couldn't keep a player of his stature happy, right? Like, that's kind of what we were saying, that the that the front office couldn't figure out a way to repair that relationship. It just doesn't speak – very highly of, of kind of their their player relations to an extent. But maybe Porzingis is the outlier there and because everyone else seems to be pretty happy with uh, with the, the front office, with management. So um, I, I'm, I'm kind of banking on, on Porzingis being the outlier and him being the prima donna that we're all accusing him of being. He can't just...
1: rebound, he can't pass, and he's ugly too. <laughs> That's where we're at as Knicks fans.
0: Just uh, to emphasize, Tom, point I know it came out uh, a couple days ago I think it was Steve Mills was saying in his exit interviews everyone on the team you know suggested that they wanted to be back with the the organization next year so that that kind of goes with what Tom was saying about potentially he was the outlier although how much do you trust uh, you know the Knicks front office to go out there and tell the media exactly how things went I'd like to think it's the case but maybe it's not maybe there's some spin there
1: and that, that was the shock of it all at first, right? Because in the back of your head, we're the Knicks. We don't make the right decision. Um, and we just traded away our worldly asset. This is when I started my 60-40, my 20% theory of being a fan. And, Tom, I think you you just everything you said was great for now that we've changed from the 60 to the 40 on Porzingis. When we were in love with him and he's our guy and you leave that – you kind of leave your middle area and you're like, Man, seven, one, a guy that can shoot like this and he can protect the rim, that's awesome. Then he's out of town and we shift twenty percent over. And okay, the the guy doesn't rebound well. He's he's pretty fragile. And it's all true, but it's kind of those, it's what glasses do you have on at that day. And the bigger thing was kind of with his brother being the agent and kind of trying to call the shots and the, he's definitely going to declare for free agency. He's going to turn down that, that qualifying contract or whatever it was. And it, I don't know when all those pieces started leaking out and you saw that the money was free and we started hearing these Durant rumors, everything sounded a lot better to us. Um, And, I mean, the the rest of the trade there. I mean, DeAndre Jordan kind of becoming this pupil and mentor uh, to Mitchell Robinson with the potential of DeAndre Jordan maybe coming back and having a role on next year's Knicks, again, for the right price. A lot of people are mentioning that, what is it, the mid-level exemption for him, um, the 5.4 or whatever it is. Um, And Dennis Smith Jr., uh, we mentioned having to trade picks to get off of The contracts we gave away not only did we get picks but i think we we ended up having this eyebrow raising moment where it's like if you count dennis smith jr we essentially got three first round picks back um so so i don't know and i i don't know if this leads us to dennis smith jr or wherever we want to go with it but um a lot is still going to be told by free agency which again we we could spin our wheels for hours over how kemba and jimmy walked Kemba and Jimmy Walk- Jimmy Walker, Jimmy Butler. I've been drinking Jimmy Walker. Um, but I, I guess this, and you mentioned Enos Cantor. I guess I should have mentioned him with the first half. But how many times do you need to mention double double and a sieve on defense?
2: yo. Just the once. But also, we didn't even mention Emmanuel Mudiay, who was like the, the, you know, staple of the of the backcourt for much of the season.
1: Yeah. That, and that's bizarre. And I don't know if I'm ready to talk about it, but I, I think that was great. And it leads us into the second half Knicks. Um, you know, we ended up, we thought we were going to be able to trade Vonlay, maybe Cantor somehow, neither happened. Um, that, that was the big trade and it was done. We end up letting Cantor go. He's fighting for his trailblazers. Now go, go get him Enos. Um, and I, I guess, so now we we've got these second half Knicks, we've done a ton of losing. Um, we, we know we're aiming towards the top of the lottery. And, Tom, you uh, you mentioned a name that's almost a touch point for me, Manny Moutier. Um, We've seen the highs and the lows of Manny Moutier. Now we work Dennis Smith Jr. In, into the mix. Um, we're having Knox basically do whatever he wants out there because we're calling it development. Still, Frank is MIA. We'll, we'll get there in a little bit. But I guess this kind of closing, it's not half of the season, but maybe a third of the season for the Knicks, do we see things changing? I know Tom, uh, you and I did a podcast where it was like we were looking for growth in these players. Not not just Kevin Knox taking and making more threes, but let's, you know, let's see Damian Dotson have a couple of games where he gets five assists and we did see stuff like that. So the end of the season Knicks, Tom, I mean, what what can we take away? <laughs> what should we take away? Well, one thing was
2: Dotson sort of proving that he can potentially be a a player on a very good team, like a, a real rotation player, that no matter what happens in free agency, Dotson's the kind of guy who can be just a, a cog. Just he could fit in. He can shoot. He can do a little stuff off the dribble. He can play make a little. He plays defense. He rebounds great for his position. Like he does all the little things, in addition to to being able to score. Like he would be a great. Um, kind of rotation player, supporting player for for a very good Knicks team if we are lucky enough to see that next year. The other thing in the, the really the story of the last third of the season was Mitchell Robinson's emergence into being one of the best rookies of his class and him being a an absolute steal from the second round. And uh, I mean, yeah, he was he really showed he that he could be a a kind of league-altering defensive presence, like the best rim protector in the league, he has that kind of potential. And uh, it was just incredible to watch.
0: Yeah, and just to kind of jump on, I agree with everything that Tom said. Those, I think those two players were the biggest positives for the Knicks in the second half, if you're looking to the possibility of Kevin Durant coming, because both of those guys can continue on in their roles, and be a positive player on a winning basketball team. So, you know, kudos to Tom for hitting the nail on the head there and, you know, taking everything that I had to say. So there you go.
1: Yeah. And, Ken, I'll I'll, I'll pass it back to you because you know I'm a little scared to shoot most of the time. Um, There's a little basketball joke in there about how awful I am at shooting.
0: You were never shy when we played, Jake.
1: Never yeah, tried. I do like to get my shots up and then That's just cussing <laughs> I that just like uh, to not a fair characterization
2: of Jake's off yeah. of that game.
1: Yeah, um, I'm gonna risk it for the biscuit out there. Yeah, I mean o- over the last 20 games, Dame Dot puts up a 13, 13, four and three, uh, while shooting 34% on six attempts from three. His end, of, his numbers year over year look very impressive. And Ken. You've big been a big Dame Doc guy from the start with some of the Danny Green comps. Um, is he you're you're at a bar and you you're wearing a Knicks shirt, friendly bartender there. He's like, Oh, you're a Knicks fan? He's like, All right, cool. Yeah, I'm a Big Grizzlies guy. It wasn't our year this year, you know, Jaron Jackson, he's good. We'll uh, we'll we'll see what comes of it. He asked you. He's like, are, are there any guys on the Knicks I should be looking out for? Is Dame Dot the first guy you say? Like, do you say, well, Mitchell Robinson has a chance to be special, but but keep an eye out for this Damian Dotson.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think again, it depends on when in the season you ask me. And if you're asking me right now, yeah, it's got to be Dame Dot and Mitchell Robinson are the two, the, the only two guys that you could possibly mention. Earlier in the season, you know, you might have you might have thrown out. Thrown out Noah Bonley is a guy that you know he's playing really well and he's really under the radar. But Mitchell Robinson and Damian Dotson, and Mitchell Robinson was just so ridiculous that I think he was head and shoulders the story above Damian Dotson. But I love Damian Dotson because of the fact that he can he can fill a fill a role, right? Like there's no what I was saying before about Isozo, like. There's no risk of that where he is given too much. There's no risk of the Knicks being like, all right, you're the guy now. We're going to we're gonna have you be our leading scorer. He's not that guy, and there's no risk of him, of anyone thinking he's that guy. He's a cog in the machine, and he's going to be a very good cog for the Knicks, which is kind of one of the things that I like. And frankly, one of the things that I think that a lot of people overlook is how people fit together once – hypothetically, if we get Durant, how everyone fits around him. And Damian Dotson is, in my opinion, the best piece to fit on a good team as a role player. Everyone else is just going to fill in around them, and maybe they can do what they're doing, maybe they can't, but Damian Dotson is one of the people that I'm not worried at all about whether he can fit, with a, fit in with a good team.
1: I love that, Kenny. And I, I think, speaking of fitting in, I think I'm going to package these two guys together, um, whether fair or unfair. the two guys that were kind of giving the keys a little bit, Dennis Smith Jr. and Manny Moutier. Um Moutier can be as almost as polarizing as they come. On, on some nights, it seems like it should be real fun this six five point guard type who can you know get 25 points while taking 12 shots. Uh, Dennis Smith, Jr, a guy that can bring down the house. Easily with the right dunk, um, never scared. His. I will say this, I was super impressed by his intensity. He brought it, um, which you, you you have to respect that for a young man um, finding his way in this league. Moutier, Dennis Smith Jr. We're doing, and I, I want to try to stay away from the fit as much because we hope Kevin Durant's coming. We'll see what happens. A, is there any world we're happy with Manny Mudiay on this team next year? And I, I, I say this in almost a rude way because let's not dance around it. Let's not do the, well, if he improves and he's okay with being on the second unit, blah, blah, blah. I'm in a world where it's no. I, I just feel like Manny Moutier is not going to find a role on next year's team or really anywhere in the league that makes him a winning player. Dennis Smith Jr., Obviously, he has such a window. He's still crazy young, crazy talented, and how he molds his game is going to be dictated by other players. Um, where are you guys on both of these players? Well, Jake, I'm with you
2: on Moody. I don't think there'd be any scenario where I'd be happy with him on the team next year. And you know, it's if you look at his numbers after the all-star break, he played in 20 games. He averaged 15 points per game, but like it really wasn't his scoring to me that was like an issue. It was, it was everything else. It was just, I I hated watching him run the offense. I thought, I mean, he led the team in assists with like three. It was just like, he, he didn't seem to know how to get guys into position to score or to get the best out of his teammates, which is something you just absolutely need from your from your point guard, he, he's supposed to orchestrate the offense, and Moutier never really showed any – I mean, he showed flashes here or there, but he did not show that he could consistently do that. And then on the defensive end, he just – I don't know if it's an effort thing or what, but he's just flat-out bad. Like, he <laughs> he can't guard opposing point guards very well. You know, I don't know if it's because of his size or, or what, but he he can't get through ball screens. He just gets lost all the time off ball as well. And yeah, I would a hundred percent rather see Dennis Smith jr. Out there than Moutier or really just about anybody over Moutier, because I'm, I'm worried. <laughs> I'm worried that Fisdale has too much faith in him or just as too much belief in Moutier and that it's not warranted. I am
0: going to agree with both of you. Uh, I think, and it's, it's tough because I don't think Moody is a terrible player. I think he's an NBA-caliber caliber player. I just don't. And again, hoping that we end up with Kevin Durant and we're a good team next year. And that's my assumption throughout this, which may not be a fair assumption. Um, but I don't know what his role on a good team would be. Uh, we, when, when Tom and I went to the Knicks game watch in New York, we met a guy who was a Brooklyn Nets fan. And uh, us being guys from Connecticut, uh, fans of UConn, I asked him what he thought about Shabazz Napier. And he said that Shabazz Napier is the best third-string point guard in the NBA. And it's like, I think Moutier could do that. I think Moutier could be the best third-string point guard in the NBA. But I don't want him playing meaningful minutes. And I don't – I earlier in the season, I thought he might be a valuable backup. And I'm off of that, that idea Probably partially because um, Dennis Smith Jr. came in. And I think Dennis Smith Jr. is just better than him. Um, and we have Dennis Smith Jr. under contract. So I think that for me pushed Moutier down a little further where I'd clearly rather have Dennis Smith Jr. over, um, over Moutier. And I don't know that at this point I want, if we're, again, if we're a good team, I don't know if I want Dennis Smith Jr. being the starting point guard for that team but i could see him being a a point guard off the bench.
2: Yeah, and and even if the Knicks aren't good next year, i still wouldn't want to see Moody out there just cuz i really don't think he helps his teammates get better. Like he looks for his own shot a lot. He which is nice to like kickstart an offense to an extent. He does get into the paint pretty well with his size. He shoots a ton of like 7-foot jump shots that are just terrible to watch. I'd say Moody was responsible for just a lot of the unwatchable qualities of the Knicks offense. And so yeah, even if they're not a good team, even if they, even if the Knicks don't get Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or any of these superstars, I still don't want to see Moody out there cuz I don't want to spend a whole other season watching him.
1: And I, and I think the hell out of that, Tom.
0: And I think another part of that is like Tom said before is just the kind of blind faith that Fisdale has in him. Like, if Fisdale was checking him a little more during the season, I might be more okay with him still being on the team next year. But I'm not confident that Fisdale has, you know, clear eyes when it comes to Moody. Just because he just kind of lets him do whatever he wants. And he he gives him a lot more minutes than I think he has earned. Although he he did have a few really good games. But that, I I just don't trust that uh, he's not going to end up being Playing significant minutes, regardless of what the roster is,
1: if if Fizdale has anything to say about it. And and I want to I want to come back to both of you guys as kind of my fire and ice. Hello, first thrones reference. Because Kenny, you're a guy that loves loves someone with the passion, the intensity. Slap the floor, get the garden going. Tom, you're a nerd. You like stats. <laughs> get out of here, loser. No. Um, But I I think this is why this is a perfect question for the both of you is, what can we take away from Dennis Smith Jr.'s time with the Knicks? Um, He comes in, he has to learn a new offense. Um, His percentages goes down while he's taking more opportunities. I mean, do we walk away saying, we like his fire, let's bring him in with a different mix? Or are we kind of saying, almost what you hinted at a little bit with there, Tom, is the, you know, are him and Kevin Knox not going to be a fit on whatever we're potentially trying to do last year? Ken, I, I want to start with you on this one, um, and then we'll pass it to Tombo. Uh, so I uh, – you kind of
0: hit the nail on the head. I love his general demeanor in that he's kind of a psycho. There's a couple times this year where it came back to bite him. I think he got a technical at a very inopportune time towards the end of the game. Um, but generally I love it. Uh, it's kind of the the same mentality that Russell Westbrook has, although Dennis Smith Jr. is not on that level in terms of ability. He's just a psycho, and I think having that mentality makes it more likely that he will improve. Um, that being said, I don't know how he fits with the rest of the team. And I keep going back to the same thing. I'm going to say it over and over again, but uh, if... And, he's shown the ability to create for others. Um, it's just a matter of if he gets to the point where he's just like jacking shots that are, you know, heat check shots, just out of emotion, that's not great. So if he can harness the just general insanity and into competing on the defensive end and, you know, just bringing the garden to life, that's good. If it takes, you know, another level and it ends up with him getting into emotional battles and, you know, taking emotional jump shots when he's getting in into it with other players when there's better options out there—that's not ideal. But I, because of his just his intensity, I have faith that he can become a better player and develop more than I do for Moutier, um, who I think just seems too docile. Uh, but you know, that's that's just all based off of pure emotion and nothing that I've actually, you know, analyzed in depth. Good.
2: Yeah, and, and Jake, despite you calling me a, a nerd who likes the stats, like sure, I really appreciate a player's competitiveness. Like that is huge for me. Like a guy needs to want to win so badly and you really need to see it. I don't care if it is like a quiet competitiveness, like a, like a Tim Duncan style. But as long as you show that you care about winning just about more than anything else when you're on the court, like, that's what's important to me. And Dennis Smith Jr. does seem to want to win desperately, right? And that's what, that's what you want. That's what you want your, your players to do. So, like, as far as his mindset, I do appreciate that. There are some technical things about his game that I'm less confident about. And it really, it comes down to his shot. Like, I'm looking at his stats after the All-Star break. So Dennis Smith Jr. played, it was really, it was just 14 games he played after the all-star break, but he shot under 30% from three on four attempts per game. So he got his, he got the shots up, but I mean, he he could not connect from behind the arc. And when, and what worried me even more was his free throw shooting. He shot 60% after the all-star break 60. And he really didn't get to the line as much as you'd expect for someone who attacks as much, just two attempts per game. So That's that's like if he comes back next year and is playing significant minutes on on this team, uh, regardless if the Knicks are good or bad, I'm gonna be those would be the first things I'm looking for. Like, has he made any progress on his jump shot? That could be it could take multiple seasons. Who knows if it ever comes around? But I'm gonna want to see flashes of of improved jump shooting and most of all, improved free throw shooting and getting to the to the line. And those are the those are probably the two biggest things for for whether Dan Smith jr is going to be a productive offensive player i we've already seen him be able to pass the ball and distribute like he was a much better passer than what I expected when he came over, so I'm not so worried about his vision it's it really is for me an all bad shot
1: yeah and tom that's a, a couple one thing you put in the minus there i'm I'm almost not i'm I'm leaving neutral a little bit the free throws it's kind of bizarre right um the guy is a you know, 67% career free throw shooter, which isn't great, but he shoots 57% with the Knicks. Um, and the shooting thing, he's, he's clearly not a natural shooter. You wouldn't label him that way. So that's where I wonder, and, and I'd have to watch some of the, the Dallas tape to see, but I wonder, because he took five, five three-point attempts per game with Dallas and the Knicks. I wonder if they were more so in the flow of the offense with Dallas, if there's if, if it's better for him with catch-and-shoot opportunities or what that looks like. Um, I guess a couple things that popped in my head during that were, um, A, I think Dennis Smith Jr. might be a little better off if he added a little more pest to his game. Like, if you knew Dennis Smith Jr. was just going to full-out hound you on defense while he was on the court, I think that would be a big plus for him if he can add that, which – with his now experience and where he's at athletically, you, you think he'd be able to. Um, and I think you guys said a lot of good things. For me, it's tough to take a lot of the percentages in his shooting and scoring with the Knicks into full context because we don't know. I, I mean, we don't know. I get, I get worried about where his role could potentially be, but I think the bigger thing is he's going to be 22. It's going to be his third season next year. And I think if, if we were putting together an article that was like, you know, 10 players to watch that the, the first month of the season is, you know, will, will change the history of their career. I think Dennis Smith Jr. is one of them. If, if Dennis Smith Jr. comes out, has a really nice month, passing the rock, he's intense on defense and he's making enough shots, you know, this guy looks – he has the potential to be really good. If he comes out and he's clunking threes at a 28% clip um, and – and not getting to the line a ton, as Tom mentioned, I mean, that that really affects this guy's potential career outlook. So um, it'll be interesting to see if that is with our Knicks or who's joining him on that team, or is it elsewhere? And, and what opportunity is he given? Because, um, I mean, this guy, when you look at the this landscape of NBA point guards, he's, he deserves and he's going to get the chance to get the keys to the kingdom again, right?
2: Yeah, he'll be... I mean he'll have a chance to be a starting point guard soon right like he has that that amount of talent and regardless of where he ends up it's like someone's gonna take a swing on him and and he's I don't know I'm pretty high on him going forward I think the shot I don't think he'll ever be like a a great three-point shooter but I I think he'll improve to at least like league average and that combined with his athleticism and his passing ability and uh and his competitiveness. I, I think he can be a very productive player. Um, I, I And I hope it's for the Knicks, but, but we'll see. Uh, the, I, I don't mean to hijack hosting. Hijack uh, it. And I hope you're going where I think you're going. Well, like, we got to talk about Frank. Yes. We got to talk about Frank, guys. Like, yes, sir. I, we had such high hopes for him. I know I did. I know Greg, if he were on the pod, would probably disagree entirely. I don't know if that's a shtick of his or if he really means it. <laughs> but, I mean – yeah, we in our in our preseason projections, I know we were all just like so much of this season whether it's a success or failure hinges on Frank's making the leap or not and, and and what and what progress he made. So, Kenny, I know you've been a Frank guy through and through. I just want to hear your top line thoughts on like on Frank's season. I know you can't be you must be a little disappointed, but but what's it mean long term?
0: Yeah, and I the biggest Kind of disappointment for me is that he got injured when he did because he got injured at a point where Moutier had just gone down with an injury and it, this was his chance to get in there and get all the minutes that he wanted and show something. And then he got injured immediately and it was out for a lot longer than expected. Then we got Dennis Smith Jr., and everyone was thinking this could be an interesting, you know, dynamic between Dennis Smith Jr., who's a super intense, super aggressive. Uh, guy on the offensive end, but you know has some mental lapses on the defensive end. And Frank, who's a great defender, but is super passive on the offensive end. And we never really got to see that because Frank got injured, came back very briefly, and while he was back, Dennis Smith Jr. was injured, so we never saw that. And I'm at the point now where I think if the Knicks do strike out in free agency then I don't know, and this is probably opposite of what everyone else is thinking, but I don't know what Frank's role is on a team that's developing just because I think he's a better player on a good team because if Frank goes out there and does what he did for the Knicks this year that you know a lot of people make fun of, like he went 0 for 5 and played defense, if he does that on a good team, no one cares, right? If he, he goes out there and stands in the corner offensively and plays good defense while Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving put up buckets, people are pumped about that. But if he does that on a, on a team where, you know, he's being, they're trying to develop him, they're throwing out, him out there for minutes, and they want, them, they want him to show us something, anything on the offensive end, I don't know that he's going to be able to do that right away. So I'm at the point where I think he would be a good player on a good team, and if we're a bad team next year again, I just don't know what his role is with that team.
1: It was kind of bizarre, right? We we got ready for kind of this last third of the season to see Frank let it rip. And then he only plays in two of the last 33 games um after an injury that was kind of like an afterthought. It was like, "Oh yeah, Frank got nicked up, huh?" Um and it was bizarre like this this should have been this should have been our Frank Nilaquina like Time to shine. Like, let's see what you got, kid. And unfortunately, we were robbed of that. Um, As both of you guys kind of know, I fell off the wagon a little bit, and I started drinking again. No, the Frank wagon. Um, And this was my logic. And this was my logic. If I had seen doses of Frank, and then I looked at his basketball reference page, and if he was on the Boston Celtics, I would be saying – wow, the Celtics blew that pick, huh? And that's just kind of the scary world I'm living in now.
0: I don't think that's the case, though, right? Because if he's on the Boston Celtics and, he, and Kyrie Irving's putting up buckets and Tatum and Jalen Brown and whoever is scoring, and he's just playing defense and playing good defense, does anyone care? Like, does anyone care that he's not scoring the bas- basketball? Because that, I mean, we're coming at this from two different directions and have two opposite views, but that's my view on the, on the situation.
2: Well, and Jake, right. I think that it's important to, to note that, like, you don't really watch the Celtics much, I don't think. And so, like, having the added value of, of just the context of watching Frank play, then right. you would you would know more than someone who's just looking at a Jakey e. Blind resume, right? So sure. I, I think it is important to, to factor in the eye test here. And, you know, you always call me the, the numbers guy, but, like, it, it's important to, to – to see what's going on in the court. And a lot of times what you saw was bad. Like there's no doubt about it. Like Frank, particularly on offense was consistently bad. He, it's a little improve on offense. No, like it's concerning that he actually took steps backward. Right. uh, in a lot of places, like his three point shooting his his two point shooting his, his, um, it seemed like his turnovers were a little more of an issue this year. Just anecdotally, I don't have any numbers on that, but, I mean, the defense was still there. Like he was one of the best, if not the best, pick and roll defender last year as a rookie, and he was towards the top again this year. Um, and it, it's hard to teach that that kind of instinct and the length that he has. You really can't teach it. So there's just still so much upside on him on the defensive end, and you just wonder whether his his offensive limitations are going to keep him from even having a chance to be a to to, to show what he can do on the defensive end.
1: And there, there's still a world where this works, right? I mean that's that became my dream for Frank for a little bit was to become the guard version of Draymond, right? Guard the best guard or wing on the opposing team, put them through hell, and then offense be able to keep it moving. If you got to hit an open shot or if you got to drive and kick Or if you if you got to do whatever you got to do to give us something on offense, there's still a world where that works, especially with some of the guys we're hoping to get. So I get that. I'm just at the point where I have to see it. Like I I I, I'm not going to drop a cocky like don't talk about it, be about it. But like I can't believe in that Frank until he gives me something. So the biggest
2: one one of the biggest criticisms of of Fizdale this year was that he didn't really extend the the level of freedom to like run the offense and explore their limitations to to Frank as he did to Moutier right so Moutier we saw time and again have really pathetic games on offense while not adding anything defensively and I know a lot of people on Nick's Twitter were were upset that that Frank wasn't kind of given that that level of rope right to I mean, not that, that Frank really would attack an offense in a similar way that Moutier would, but we. But when Frank wasn't playing the, the Fizdale way, he would get yanked for games at a time when he was healthy, right? And, and it's just, was there, do you guys agree that there wasn't really a consistent approach to, to Frank's minutes versus Moutier's? I concur with that statement.
1: Yeah, I, and I, that's totally fair, and that's kind of the, like, we were building up to this. Like, Frank, it's, it's, your, it's your time. And then he misses those games. So I, I'm not going to hold that against him because it, seem, it seemed like a very real injury. Um, I mean, I just have to see something. The per 36 numbers are almost exactly the same to his rookie year. Um, but Jake, he can play defense. He can play defense. I do believe that.
0: But Jake, he's got to be
1: able to give us anything.
0: Like, I think part of, the problem is, like, who's he passing the ball to this year? And, like, what is the offense that, that Fizdale has this year? Like, I, I think I've said this before on different podcasts, but you know when you go, to, you go to play a pickup game, and we're guys who, like, play offense, pass, move off the ball, do things like that. And most people that you go play pickup with are just going to, whenever they get the ball, they're either going to shoot it, drive, or turn it over. And that's what Frank is playing in. He's the guy who wants to play an offense, wants to pass the ball, have some movement. And everyone else he was playing with early in the season was just going ISO, chucking shots, and he was standing in the corner. So like I understand that he's had a bad he had a bad season offensively, but I'm not I still think on a good team he will move the ball, he will get open shots and hit open shots, and he's shown an ability to be an above-average passer like in that situation, but he didn't have the best tools around him to do that. He's not, a, he's not a you know Dennis Smith Jr. drive and kick kind of guy. He's a guy who will work well within an offensive set. And frankly, Fizdale just didn't have much of an offense throughout most of the season. And he admitted that early in the season when he said, they've got a lot of young guys, they, so they're trying to keep it as simple as possible on the offense. So that just kind of, in my opinion, that took away from what he was able to do. And that's why I'm saying, if he's on a developing team again, I don't know that he's going to be able to show everything he can do. But I think he's a very useful piece on a good team.
1: And, and I, hope, I hope that's the case. And I, I, I do understand there's a world where that happens, but there's also a world where he's just not good on offense. And I'm not rooting for that. But I, I think after, after the two years, you, know, you do have to acknowledge it to a degree. But how good
0: on offense does he have to be, though? Like, if I'm, if if Kyrie and Durant are in the game, what does he have to do offensively?
1: Uh, he does. He, he'll have to stretch the keep, floor and hit an open three. Like you'll want to keep a defender near him, hit an open shot, make the right uh, pass. And I, I know we've seen inklings of him being able to pass, but we've also seen inklings of him not being able to. We've seen some bad turnovers. And I mean, at, at the same time, we go at Fizdale for not having a great offense for Frank to thrive in. I mean, we just complimented Damian Dotson for a while for being able to do his thing. And, and he's a guy that, you know, would operate a lot better with an, you know, an offensive system around him that puts him in the right spots to succeed. So I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just think it's sometimes we give Frank too much leash when I, I get it and I want him to be good, but I think, I think just my leash is shorter than where where your guy's leash is at.
0: And I mean once again, Knicks are a terrible passing team. So like to the extent that what who was creating shots for him this year? Like if he's on that team, he's getting better shots. So I'm not I'm not ready to write him off as a bad shooter because I think he's a capable shooter. I think he as he has the form. Shots didn't fall for stretches this year, but you know, what were the context of those shots? So like I'm I am ready to admit that, you know. He has. He did not perform up to expect expectations this year. But I think on a good team, he's a better player.
1: Hope you're right. I hope you're right. And I I think we are gonna wrap up. Time Thrones is sneaking up. I I think unless there's something I'm missing, I I just think we need to. The cherry on top is Kevin Knox. Um, we we kind of dipped and dodged around a little bit all episode. I know Tom, I you're you're still mad at me about that nerd line, um, but you know, again, this is a statistical, I mean, you can make your brain spin pretty quickly, like 34% from three on five attempts. We never thought we didn't think we were going to get that from Kevin Knox this year. We were also pretty hopeful. We didn't get, uh, you know, 37% from the field. Um, he goes to the line three times per game. He, you know, he gets the rebounds up to four and a half. The passing is almost not there, I guess, kind of, a little bit of a close, Thomas Kevin Knox, where are you at? I know like Zach Lowe talked
2: about this on one of his podcasts, and he said that Knox was bad in all the ways you'd expect a nineteen year old to be bad, and that he wasn't worried about him and that seems like a pretty reasonable take to me like he there's no question he may have been the most like harmful player. <laughs> on the court of any team this year. Like he he definitely was a net negative in a major way, but even so, like that that doesn't worry me about his his long-term value or his future. Like you said that that kind of volume from 3 is really encouraging and and even more than just that 34% number, it was just when you watched him, I know when I watched him, how I felt was like every time he had an open three, I thought he was going to make it. And it's it's a combination of his form, his his willingness to take it, and the fact that he has to be guarded out there and stretch the floor. Defenses can't just leave him alone. He's an extremely capable shooter, especially from a standstill when he's just spotting up around other action. Like he's a very strong three-point shooter. Um, he did a little bit of it off the dribble, but I mean that's a part of his game that he'll have to add to, and, and I have no doubt that he'll be able to. Um so, yeah, shooting-wise, I'm very confident in him going forward. I think he's a very strong player in transition. He's got good athleticism, great size. Um, I think as far – and then his ability to get to the line, I think he's going to improve there. The, the parts that worry me are his reliance on the floater. I hope that goes away. I know I harped on it all season. But hopefully it's just such a passive shot and it will not draw him enough contact to get to the free throw line. So if he can, if he can turn some of those floaters into just attacks on the rim, then that would, that would help him a great deal. And then he's, just, he's a really bad passer. He's like a, a bottom tier passer. He hasn't really shown much vision there. Um, every once in a while you'll pick out a pass and, and be like, oh, he, he did that. Um, but for the most part, he's probably one of the worst passers in the league for his position. So, you know, trying to project his long-term value and success in the league, it, a lot of it's going to depend on his ability to develop that. So, um, yeah, that's that's about all I got to say about Knox. Kenneth?
0: Kevin Knox. Uh, I mean, I, I think I, I pretty much saw, said all I had to say at the, the beginning of the episode is that he's – I have confidence he could be a good player in this league. It's just a matter of, you know, what happens to the Knicks next season. Because, like Tom said, if things go the way the Knicks want him, they, the the way the Knicks want them to, uh, I don't know if his timeline is the same as the Knicks timeline. Um, if they don't, then I think he is a good foundation piece to develop around for the next few years, and I think he's got a very good chance to be a, a very good player so that's that's my two sets
1: yeah it's uh i I think that you know it's easy for us to lean on Zach Lowe with what he's done now, but it's right the the things you'd expect him to not be good at at this age he wasn't, and yet there there were some really good signs. Um, man, could his tail change with the crew around him, maybe the most. And and I, I said we should wrap this up. We do have one thing we have to cover. It was another thing we were dodging because it may be the brightest spot. And it was Mitchell Robinson. I mean, he finishes his last 30 games, so a majority of the season. I mean, he averages 10, 9, and 3 blocks. Uh, we know about the block shot streak that ended with the last game of the season, fittingly. Um, it looks like he the guys, the kid's a worker. We had him, you know, working out at midnight on his 21st birthday or whatever, uh, learning from DeAndre Jordan. And we, we've talked about the range. You know, Kevin Knox, if he's next to Kyrie and Durant, what does he look like? Um, you know, Alonzo Trier, how, how would he fit in on another team? You want to talk about plug and play? How about the big man that can finish anything thrown to him around the rim and can block shots at defense? So, uh We'll go back, reverse around the horn. Kenny, Mitch, Rob.
0: Yeah, um, I Mitchell Robinson is the single part of the Knicks that made this season bearable to watch, uh, just because of what he brought to every game. Because he was the one guy you were watching. Is like he might do something cool today. He might, you know, he might show us something new that we haven't seen yet. And it was. you don't usually get to see someone develop right in front of your eyes. Like usually it's a more gradual process, but Mitchell Robinson, it seemed like every day he was getting better and he was doing something, you know, that he wasn't doing the day before. And that was just a really, you know, the only bright spot of the Knicks, in my opinion this season was just being able to see him, you know, blocking threes, blocking shots at the rim, finishing alley-oops. One of the, one of the exciting things for me was shortly after the DeAndre Jordan uh, trade, I don't know why I'm calling the DeAndre Jordan trade, <laughs> shortly shortly after yes. DeAndre Jordan came to the Knicks, um, there was a play where I think DSJ got a steal and threw an a, threw a oop off the backboard to DeAndre Jordan, and then a couple weeks later, same exact play, except it was DeAndre Jordan, or it was uh, Mitchell Robinson fi- finishing the alley-oop, and it's like, that's pretty cool. Like, you get to, you're get seeing this guy develop uh, next to a guy who we're hoping he, be, he can become a lot more like. And, you know, it, it was exciting stuff, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he can bring to the table next year, regardless of who, who else is on the Knicks. If Mitchell Robinson is on the Knicks, I'm going to be excited.
2: Yeah, Jake, talk about burying the lead here. Like, the, <laughs> that's how that's know. how you keep them listening. Tom. We're in like an hour and fifteen minutes into this pod, and we're just getting a Mitchell Robinson in full form. But yeah, like, there's not enough time left in this pod for me to to heap all the praise I'd like to onto this guy. Like, he was just—he's a, a potential defensive player of the year candidate in years to come, which is just such a rare thing to have. Like a Rudy Gobert level rim protector but not just that like guys like Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid they can't they they can be liabilities on defense especially come playoff time when they are forced out under the perimeter like they i we saw it all last year with Embiid struggling to to defend Al Horford on pick and pops Mitchell Robinson doesn't have those mobility issues the guy can get out there and and defend guards for limited stretches out on the perimeter, his his length and his his bounce just allow him that even if he does get beat, like he can he can block from behind, like off the backboard. He he's just and, and he can test jump shots, step backs. So we saw him block a James Harden step back, a Luka Doncic step back. Um, it, it's just so, so impressive on the defensive end, and then offensively, where I thought he was going to be super raw, he ended up being a major pl- plus there too able to to rim run set he needs to get a little better at setting screens he's very skinny but like the fact that he can just dive to the rim and and his hands are what what impressed me like his ability to catch just about anything around the rim and he's only going to get better there so you know there's been some talk already this offseason of him wanting to improve his three-point shot and I don't know if he's talked about like trying to post up more but I would really steer clear of that stuff like Yes, it's nice to have in your back pocket if you absolutely need it, like break in case of emergency situation. But I want him to just get better at what he's already good at and just keep working on that, keep getting stronger and smarter and making reads and getting better at screening and doing the little things. And he's going to be a super valuable player for years to come. And like I said, like a really a top-notch, top-tier defensive player that the Knicks haven't probably had since Ewing. I mean, I guess there was a year of Tyson Chandler in there, but – yeah, that's the type of guy we're talking about and the, the kind of value he's bringing as a second-round pick. It's incredible.
1: And so you guys agree that you would do the Andrea Bargnani trade again, right? <laughs> oh, no no um, doubt. No, I, I, you guys nailed it. I, I, Just a couple anecdotes before we wind it down. Tom, I think you said it. There was like two weeks of the season when the Knicks played a game of who can throw – Mitchell Robinson, the worst alley oop pass, and he can still finish it. Yeah, um, which uh, it became a little ridiculous at a certain point, but also a little fun. And tied to that, I, I forget what game it was, but there was one game where he he screened, he rolled, and he had like two guys on him, and he had I think he made an alley oop the possession before, or two possessions before. He was pretty much covered except the airspace above him, which is airspace that he could only get to. And he was pissed that someone didn't throw him the lot, which again, when we talk about things you could take away from this season, the intensity, the passion, and what he was doing on the court um, was a lot of fun. And he he will he will be he he fits on any Knicks team, however you want to draw it up next year. Mitchell Robinson fits in. Uh boys. Dun 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 dun. Na, na, na. it's it's about that time for us in real life if you've been listening thank you so much i i think this came out really well um especially we since got, greg wasn't here You're yeah right mostly cuz greg wasn't here um not as many eastern thrones references as i would like but that's that's how i walk away from every talk next podcast so if you've been listening talent. uh rate res- uh rate rescribe rate subscribe Reach out to us. Um, we're always having fun at Talking Knicks. Tommy P on the Twitter sphere at Tom Piccolo. Thomas Piccolo.
2: It's Tom underscore Piccolo. But uh,
1: yeah, I mean, go through Talking Knicks. You'll find me. Tweet at Tweet at Thomas Piccolo too. See what they have to say. I'm at Talking Jake. Thank you so much. We're gonna have more leading up to the to the big lottery day and the whole off season as a whole. So I think I can start saying it legit again. Let's go Knicks. Go
0: Knicks. Knicks take.